uh, we're studying 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, some people refer to it as the resurrection chapter because that's what it deals with. It's an important chapter, too. It's one that we ought to be very familiar with. If there's anything other than God, of course, if there's anything people are going to reject as untrue, it'll be the resurrection of the dead. First, people deny the existence of God, and then people will deny the resurrection of the dead because it's, it's such a fantastic thought that after a person dies, their body comes back to life. It's more than uh, most people can handle. And that, that's only because we've never seen it before. And it, it, if, 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 if we were more rational in our thinking, we wouldn't think that way uh, because uh, there was the creation of the world, uh, something that only happened once. One-time occurrences aren't uncommon when you look at the, the universe in which we live. We know beyond a shadow of a doubt it had a beginning. You know, science has established that uh, beyond a reasonable doubt. Uh, but we didn't see it happen. So the fact that something happened that we've never seen before, so what? I can't imagine what all happened before that I haven't seen in my life. The resurrection of the dead, no one's seen it. It's a fantastic thought. It's a, it, it seems like something, a wishful thinking, if you will, on the part of many people. So the resurrection is something a lot of people have a hard time accepting. That's why it's important for us to understand the resurrection, how it fits into the whole scheme of things, and be able to talk about it intelligently with other people so that we can uh, show them why the resurrection of the dead isn't as fantastic as they may think it is. Not when you're talking about God and the things that God can do, uh, which is a fantastic thought in, in itself. Um, <clears throat> verse 12 is where we're supposed to begin today. Now, if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say, that there is no resurrection of the dead. How can you say that? They've already done something that confirmed their belief in the resurrection of the dead, and that was uh, baptism. Uh, in John chapter 3, let's, I want to go over this in some detail because you have to understand something about baptism when you're talking about the resurrection of the dead because the two have something in common with each other. Uh, the occurrence with uh, Nicodemus, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see, enter, be a part of the kingdom of God. Nicodemus was confused 
And he said to Jesus, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? This notion of a second birth was more than he could comprehend. And he's questioning it, which anybody would, I think. And Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. And so is everyone who is born of the spirit. Verse eight is very difficult. Uh, by the time we conclude, I'll give you a quotation from Brother Guy Woods that I think will make that uh, easily understood. Uh, verse 5 is where I want to think about for a moment. Jesus answered Nicodemus, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. He cannot. There is no way to be a part of the divine kingdom. You can't be a citizen of it. Jesus, of course, is the king of the kingdom. And uh, unless I am born again of water and the spirit, it's simply not possible that I can be a part of that kingdom. So to anybody who wants to be a citizen of Christ's kingdom, uh, this, this thing about being born of the water and the spirit should be uh, very important to them. The fact of the new birth was stated in verse 3. I used to think it was odd that the Lord said what looks like the same thing two times in a row, verse 3 and 5. And I, I, I wondered why he did that. Well, he, he, he stated the, the new birth as a matter of fact in verse 3. In verse 5, he gives the details of it. Here's what I'm talking about, Nicodemus. He mentioned the new birth. He's going to try to climb up in his mama's womb and be born again. No, it's not about that kind of a birth. It's about being born of the water and the spirit. There is one birth in this birth of the water and the spirit, and there are two elements, and that is water and spirit. It happens one time, just like in physical realm. A, a person is born one time, physically. And so it is with a new birth. You're born one time, spiritually, for all time. What does that mean, once saved, always saved? No. A person can be a citizen of a kingdom and still be lawless. There are people in our kingdom, the United States, they're citizens of the United States, but they're lawless people. They don't abide by the law. The same thing's true in the in the spiritual kingdom. There are people who are citizens of the spiritual kingdom who have since changed their ways and now they've become lawless people. Do they stop being citizens of the kingdom? No. They're still citizens of the kingdom. They're still children of God. The thing is, they're now disobedient children of God. They're disobedient citizens of the kingdom. Think about it a lot when you're, when you're thinking, trying to, trying to grasp this thing about a spiritual kingdom. Liken it under the country in which we live. There's similarities there. Jesus used this particular terminology so that we could do this. 
and make it more understandable to us. There's one birth, a person is born one time, but there's two elements, and that is water and spirit. Both of these elements are essential to the new birth. Leave off one and it doesn't occur. There is no new birth. Both have to be present for there to be a new birth. There has to be water, ample water. We know from the very word baptism that there has to be enough water to immerse a person in that water. And uh, secondly, the Spirit of God is involved in the new birth. Okay? Um, well, let's go ahead. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. Uh, both elements are essential to the new birth, and the new birth has to occur before a person can be a citizen of the divine king. That's where salvation's at, in the kingdom of God. It's like, uh, take the Olympics, for example. Uh, A person is crowned as the fastest runner in the world because they win the Olympics. Well, is that true? Are they, are they really the fastest runner in the world? Could there be someone in a very distant land that could run faster than the person who ran in the Olympics? Well, sure there can. I don't know if you ever find the fastest, the strongest, any of that stuff. But the thing about it is, one person ran in the Olympics, and he was recorded as the fastest runner. Another person can run faster, but he wasn't in the Olympics. So it doesn't count. And so it is with the kingdom. There are, there are good people. There are great people. There are highly moral people that are not in the kingdom of God. Why? Because they haven't been born of water and the spirit. In order to be born, to be become a citizen of the kingdom, and this is the divine rule. This isn't our rule. This isn't a church rule. This is what Jesus has written in his book. In order for a person to become a citizen of his kingdom, that person must be born of water and the spirit. Look at the terminology. Unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Are there good moral people that aren't citizens of God's kingdom? Absolutely. I know a lot of people that way. Good people, great people. I trust them with anything I've got. You won't find a, a, a finer person on the earth. Speaking of a, a, a good neighbor, a good citizen, good friend. But they're not citizens of God's kingdom. That puts them outside the realm of salvation. And that's what makes us ache. And that's why we have to become knowledgeable so that we can help our friends to see what we see, to understand what we understand in the hopes that they might become 
a part of the divine family. And this is the way to gain access to it. And there is no other way. It's so important. What is meant, though, by being born of water and the spirit? Yeah, all, all theologians agree that the water he's talking about is baptism. I don't know of any reputable scholars who would deny that. It's, it's just much too obvious. But the Bible teaches that in order for a person to be saved, there are these five things that they must do. They must believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. They must repent of sin. I'm never going to sin again. Well, I don't want to sin again. But the truth of the matter is, I don't know if I will or I won't. Every time I have to repent, and I had to repent a week or two ago or three, I don't remember what it was, but uh, I had to repent of sins, and my hope is I won't never sin again. But experience has taught me that sooner or later something's going to jump up and bite me. And I'm going to be, respond to it badly. And I'm going to sin. I don't want to sin, but I will sin. Repentance is the resolution that we're not going to sin. That doesn't mean we won't sin. I think it's kind of foolish to even think that we won't sin. Because uh, there's just too many traps, too many obstacles in the world. And uh, we're bound to get caught and uh, do something we regret. But uh, we ask God to forgive us then. And he will, because he understands that. He understands our weaknesses. He understands... Sometimes our stupidity. We can't even understand it about ourselves. But the Lord does. He loves us. And he wants to forgive us. Every one of us that's raised kids. We've never thought about throwing our kids away because of something they did that wasn't right. The thought of throwing them away never crossed my mind. What was always on my mind was try to keep my children in the right way to grow up and become good people. That was the object, that was the goal. And sometimes when they step out of bounds, you gotta pull them back in bounds. And it goes on and on through all their formative years. But the thought of throwing them away because they did something they shouldn't have done for the 14th time, it never crossed my mind. Well, that's the way the Lord is with us. As disgusted as we might become with ourselves, he does not. All he wants us to do is to move back into the way. And he's willing to forgive us if we repent. So when we think about repentance, don't think of it as a, a once for all thing. The, res the resolution not to sin again, absolutely. But the idea that I never will, I think that's 
just unreasonable to even expect. Uh, I don't want to sin. And maybe I won't. But I think if I live long enough, there's a possibility that I will. Okay, to be saved, a person must believe that Jesus is the Christ. That's a difficult thing to do. Repent of your sins. Uh, confess him. Once you believe that Jesus is Christ, it's simple to, to confess him. There's no problem there. And then be baptized, uh, literally, to be immersed. Uh, the American Standard Version uh, uh, there's a few others. But the American Standard Version translate uh, this word, baptizo. Uh, they translate it uh, correctly. It's the word immersion. It's what it should be. This is from the New King James Bible here, and it has the word baptized. The word bapt, we would be so much better off if the word baptized had never been invented. They didn't want to admit when uh, King James, for example, when they translated this book, they didn't want to admit that uh, the new birth was an immersion in water. And the reason was they'd all been sprinkled. That they were Catholics. And the Catholic doctrine was you're sprinkled when you're a baby and that's your baptism, okay? Well, now all of a sudden they decide that they want to translate the Bible into English. And you've got, uh, 66 scholars, I believe, uh, from various parts of the world that translated this book. And they came to this word, uh, baptizo, and uh, they didn't know what to do because everybody knew it's contrary to what they had done in order to become a, a baptized person. So they finally decided, instead of translating the word immersion like it should have been, uh, they just uh, transliterated the word and came up with the word baptize, which can mean whatever you want to define it to mean. But literally, the word is immersion. Uh, the American Standard Version got it right, and the rest of them are wrong. Uh, it's, uh, anybody that has studied Greek uh, knows that's the case. It's immersion in water, and the purpose is to take away sin. No. The water doesn't take away the sin. The Lord takes away the sin. Look at Colossians chapter 2 and verse 12. Baptism is a working of God. Or another word that can be used, it's an operation of God. Baptism is a time when God takes away sin. I believe. Is sin taken away? No. I repent. Is sin taken? No. I confess. Is sin taken away? No. When I'm immersed in that water after having done the previous things, then God's operation is to remove my sin. And when I come up out of the water, I'm born again. I'm born anew. Some translations have it, which is good. Uh, just as a child comes forth into the world, so a person who is born again, they too come forth from the world, okay? 
that there was something that happened to baptism uh, that was uh, very similar to what happened to Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. The two, uh, the two are alike in many ways. To enter the kingdom, one must be born of water and the spirit. The person who is born of water and the spirit is a saved person. Well, the person who believes, repents, confesses, and is baptized for the remission of sins have sins taken away. They, too, are a saved person. Now, logic teaches us that things equal to each other makes them equal to themselves. I got the language wrong, but I know it's in there somewhere. What, if, you're, if you believe, repent, confess, and are baptized, you're saved. If you're born of water and the Spirit, you're saved. Things equal to the same thing are equal to each other. That's the way it's supposed to be. <clears throat> to be born of water and the Spirit, therefore, is to believe, repent, confess, and be baptized for remission of sins. They're one and the same thing. So when you talk about the new birth in John 3, that's what you're talking about. When you expand uh, the information a little bit, and we need to become familiar with these various passages and how they uh, broaden our understanding of what the new birth actually is. Uh, what is meant by being born, born of the water and the spirit? One is begotten of the spirit when they believe the word which the spirit gave. That is the New Testament scriptures, of course. When you believe what the Lord has said, when you conceive the word of God, you are begotten of the Holy Spirit. And then you are born of water by coming forth from the waters of baptism. It, it, it's two different things. They're distinct from each other. But uh, in a physical birth, uh, you have a conception. In the spiritual birth, there has to be a conception. The word of the Spirit, when it finds a good heart, a conception takes place. And then once a person is immersed in water for the remission of sins, they come forth in the new birth. The conception, <clears throat> development, the new birth. Think about the birth of a child and the new birth. They're the same thing except one has to do with the physical world, whereas the other has to do with the spiritual world. Can a person be a citizen of the United States if they've never been born? Well, that's the dumb question, isn't it? Can a person be a citizen of God's kingdom if they've never been born? Well, that has to be a dumb question, too. The two are very similar to each other. <clears throat> that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Uh, there's all kinds of explanations floating around about what this means. Uh, the, the law uh, of Genesis says that light begets light. Uh, 
we read about it all through Genesis chapter 1, uh, verse 12, for example. The earth brought forth grass, the herb that yields seed according to its kind. There was grass, there was seed from the grass, then there was more grass. From the seed of grass, you didn't get a tree. From the seed of grass, you didn't get a cow. From the seed of grass, you get grass. Like begets like. The tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself, yielded according to its kind. Same thing with the fruit tree. Apple seed produces apples, not plums. They produce apple every time. There's never been an instance that anyone has ever seen that an apple produced an orange. Apples always produce apples. The, the point is, is very important. The flesh produces fleshly life. Me and BR, we produce two lives. And like me and BR, they're made up of body and spirit. The spirit begets spiritual life. Nicodemus had been born. He was, he was a man. Obviously, he had been born. But he had never been born again. And because he had never been born again, he was not a citizen of God's kingdom. He thought he was. He was a high-ranking Pharisee. He was a good man. He was a very, very, very good man. But he wasn't a citizen of God's kingdom. Do you understand? The implications of this are extremely serious. That's why we've got to understand so much. In John 3, 9 and 10, Nicodemus answered Jesus and said, how can these things be? I used to wonder why the Lord seemed to be so shocked by this response because I kind of felt like Nicodemus. Jesus responded, are you a teacher of Israel and you do not know these things? You don't know that like begets like? You don't know that flesh produces flesh? You don't know that God produces a new birth? How would you think there could be a new birth, Nicodemus, without the Spirit of God? It, it wasn't hard to understand except for the fact that I think that it was a brand new thought that no one had entertained before. I know it was brand new to me being born again. You know, I don't know that I understood it even after I become a Christian. I don't think I still understood it. It took a little time before I could get it into my thick head. But this is what the point is. The flesh produces fleshly life. Okay, I'm here. 
but in order to become a citizen of God's kingdom, the spirit has to beget me. He has to conceive my spirit as a spiritual entity, as one who believes the seed that he gave, and that is, of course, the word of God. When I believe the word of God, I accept it, and I choose to act upon it, then I have been begotten of the Spirit. I've been conceived, and now I've got to develop before I can be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone born of the Spirit. <clears throat> As the wind's operations are unknown, so also is the Spirit's mode of operation in the new birth. We don't understand how the Holy Spirit works. We, 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 we just can't. That's a part of a realm that we're not a part of. I know how it, it takes place I don't know exactly how it works, and it's a bit confusing when you stop to think about it, but it's the same, same thing with the wind. I don't understand the wind. When the wind blows, where does it come from? Where does it go? I don't know. A, a scientist might be able to explain how it takes place, but I just don't know. When there's wind, I know there's wind. When there's no wind, I know there's no wind. But I don't know where it comes from or where it goes. Why would I be surprised that the same thing is true in the workings of the Spirit of God? I can't see him. He doesn't speak, at least audibly. How could I know unless he explains it to me? It's not a comparison between the wind and the new birth. And this is what some people on the TV will say. Uh, Jesus is comparing the wind to the new birth. No, that's not what he's doing. He's actually comparing the wind to the one who is born anew. Look again at verse 8. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Just like the wind. You don't know where it comes from. You don't know where it goes. So is a person who is born of the Spirit. You don't know exactly how it takes place, but you do know it does take place, at least in some individuals. And a person becomes born again, not just because they believe, but because they believe and have resolved to follow the will of God. And what do they do? They repent, they confess, they're immersed in water for the remission of sins, and they become citizens of the divine kingdom, which was the goal, the objective. But without doing that, they can't be citizens of the kingdom. The word pneuma in our text is translated wind. More than 350 times this word pneuma is translated spirit in uh, the Bible. I looked it up in my Greek Bible. And it's over 350 times that the word pneuma appears. In every 
every occasion without failure, it's translated spirit in the King James book, except one time in verse eight of our text, at the top, the wind blows where it wishes. The word is pneuma, the Greek word is pneuma. At the end of this verse, the word pneuma appears again, and this time they translated the spirit. Every time in the New King James book, they translated the Greek word pneuma, spirit, except for one time. And that's in the first part of verse eight, they translated it wind. Why did they translate it wind? I don't know. I wasn't here in 1611 when they translated it. But what I do know is that they deliberately used the word wind when it should have been the word spirit. And I think that's obvious by the fact that it's always translated spirit, except for one time. They had a reason. It had something to do with doctrine, no doubt. But uh, that was their doing. Uh, our responsibility today is try to understand what God intended as best we can. When wind is intended, the Greek word anemos is used. That's the word for wind. Pneuma is the word for spirit. But for some reason, they flipped them around in verse 8. It shouldn't be that way. And it makes it confusing, and it shouldn't be confusing. Brother Guy Woods uh, translated the Greek text, and this is how he came out with it. The spirit breathes as he will, as he chooses. You hear his voice, but you cannot tell from where he comes or where he goes. So through hearing his voice is everyone born who is born of the Spirit. Now the way we hear the voice of the Spirit, again, is through the New Testament scriptures. The words in this book are the words of the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God is speaking to me when I read the words of this book. He's not going to speak to me audibly. I know there's a lot of people that says he does. I seen a preacher on TV one time. He was preaching away, and all of a sudden he stopped because he said the Holy Spirit was talking to him. And only he could hear him. So the spirit started talking about something. And he said, wait, wait a minute, spirit. I don't have time for that right now. I'm talking about this other. And I, I was so disturbed over that, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't believe. There, I mean, I don't know how many people was in that building. It looked like there had to be 10,000 at least. Maybe more people, they love them kind of guys. But uh, do you realize he was acting like he had authority over God? God speaks to you and you're going to tell God to hush? I don't believe anybody would do that. 
If God spoke to us audibly, we'd be too terrified to speak. It'd be hard to speak when he told us to speak because it'd be something far beyond our comprehension to hear the voice of God. The Spirit doesn't speak to us audibly. He doesn't whisper to us. He doesn't give us a kick in the pants. He talks to us through the written word. That's why the word was recorded. He's preserved the word. The Old Testament for now 3,500 years. The New Testament for 2,000 years. And it remains today as it was the day it was written. Sometimes the translators mess up on words. But the Greek text is still the same. It's never changed. How, can you, how could you possibly explain this book existing all this time? You can't find much when you talk about the writings of Shakespeare, for example. There isn't much of his literature, at least the original literature, that can be found. And the same is true with all other ancient writers. There isn't much literature. But the New Testament, you can find the documents of the New Testament over 1,500 that still exist. The writings can be examined. More than that, really, because now people like me, I've got the copies of the, uh, of the New Testament when it was written. Not by the actual writers, but by those who reprinted the things that they had written. The actual autographs don't exist any longer. But there are, there are autographs that do exist from the first century. So you can still verify the Greek text. You can't say that about any other writing that exists. How did it how how did it last this long when so many people have tried to destroy it? There have been kings who have ordered the destruction of every copy of the Bible in the kingdom. They thought they achieved their goal, and yet the Bible continues to exist. There's only one rational way that could possibly be explained that deity was overseeing his speech to humanity. This would reveal salvation. This would enable human beings who face certain eternal death to find salvation. And it continues to last to this day. I got done with what I needed to talk about. Well, this one last thing. The similarity between uh, the death of Christ and the death of a person. Jesus died, was buried, and resurrected. Well, that's exactly what baptism is. It's the death, the burial, and resurrection of a person. Uh, we crucify ourselves, just as the Lord did. We're buried in water. We're raised uh, a new creature. I'm done. I don't, I 
don't think I'll be teaching next week.